Hello, this is Sunday Starter. I'm Andy Mangum. Spent many years in local church ministry and now serve in judicatory ministry in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. My goal in these podcasts is to provide a non-chatty overview of one of the texts on an upcoming lectionary Sunday to provide worship leaders, uh, pastors, preachers, teachers, elders, and others who may be trying to get a start on Sunday a heads up, uh, something that will fit within the normal commute so that uh, we redeem the time for the drives are evil. Our scripture reading for uh, this Sunday, which will be the third Sunday after Easter, Uh, in year C is Acts chapter 9, and you can either do Acts chapter 9, 1 through 20, or Acts chapter 9, 1 through 6. It tells the story of Paul's conversion from a persecutor of the early Christians to becoming a convert and ultimately a missionary. It is important to note that while this is the most familiar account of Saul's conversion to becoming Paul, uh, it is not the only account in the New Testament. There's also an account in Acts chapter 22, verses 6 through 16. This account in Acts 22 and the the account in Acts chapter 9 are relatively the same. There are some more significant differences between this account and the one given in Acts 26, 12 through 28. Both of those accounts, the one in Acts 22 and the one in Acts 26, are told from Paul's perspective. Uh, But Paul himself, in his letters, provides us a couple of accounts of his conversion experience. There's one in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 11, and another in Galatians 1, 12 through 24. There are differences among the different accounts uh, of uh, Paul's conversion, uh, what the Lord said to Annas, uh, Ananias, Ananias, um, the fact that Paul's movements are different uh, from the point of his conversion onward, Uh, But my sense, while we might quibble about source uh, criticism and and where these stories come from, my sense is that the most appropriate way to respond to these differences is to understand them contextually and rhetorically. That is to say that they are different to serve the purpose of the storyteller in the moment of the storytelling uh, to, to make a point that is given there. Uh, I often say, pay attention to how a story is told, not just to what story is told. Beverly Gaventa, in uh, her book on New Testament conversions, a really extraordinary book that you ought to find, um, said this, by beginning with the assumption that the traditions behind Luke can be isolated, neither asks the pivotal question, whether accent, he's talking about uh, overview of uh, people who have dealt with the differences between uh, the stories in Acts, in Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. Um, and she reviews a couple of uh, scholars uh, who um, assume that the differences in the accounts in those three locations uh, is due to their um, uh, sources, uh, that they were drawing from different sources, uh, perhaps different uh, written sources or, or whatever. Um, but she says, by, by beginning with the assumption that the traditions behind Luke can be isolated, neither ask the pivotal question whether Acts 9 differs from Acts 22 and 26 because of something intrinsic to the story that Luke wishes to tell. With that, I think it's also helpful to uh, hear a word of of Paul, as Paul himself described his uh, conversion experience. I'll read the one from 1 Corinthians and uh, trust that you'll look at the one in Galatians chapter 1 as well. Paul said, said this, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, 
and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, last of all as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Uh, so that's a, you know, a helpful way to think about how Paul understands uh, what happened here. So a little bit about the world behind the text. Um, we remind you that Luke is the author of the book of Acts. Uh, they're part one and part two of the same volume. Uh, so whoever wrote Luke, whether it was indeed the historic Luke uh, or an, another author, and it's been attributed uh, to uh, Luke by history, uh, none of the Gospels have uh, identified authorship specifically. Uh, we can make a case that John wrote John. Uh, I think uh, it's fairly um, decent case that Luke wrote Luke uh, only because there's no um, credibility gained by attributing it to Luke. Matthew, Mark, and John uh, were part of Jesus' inner circle. Uh, Luke is a companion, a traveling companion of Paul mentioned later on in the book of Acts. And so because I don't think there's much um, benefit that, that could be gained by attributing it to him, uh, I think it's fairly uh, um, likely that he uh, is indeed the author of the book of Luke and, and the book of Acts. I want to talk about this, this um, what, what serves the purpose of the storyteller uh, and, and want to claim a little bit later that, uh, uh, that indeed what we have here is a movement narrative that is unfolding the thesis statement of the book of Acts, uh, which is Acts 1-8, uh, that the, uh, the witnesses to Jesus Christ would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I believe, uh, as, as we have suggested, uh, I'm working on a sermon series or a uh, worship series here that would be entitled um, Expanding Circles or Expanding God Circles. I'm not sure uh, the language there. Uh, theologically, I believe that God's love has always been there for all of humanity, but certainly in the book of Acts, what we see is expanding circles of knowledge, expanding circles of witness, and expanding awareness of who is entitled to hear this good news. And, um, and I think that this story fits in that framework, but would want to say uh, that with, with that template or that uh, vision of what the first 10 chapters or so, 11 chapters of Acts might be about, that there are other themes in the book of Acts that, that should be examined. Um, Monsignor Charles Pope of Washington, D.C., uh, had identified some patterns in charismatic sermons uh, that, that, uh, that he calls um, uh, charismatic sermons, and it has to do with effect, explanation, and exhortation. Um, and the, the uh, charismatic sermons uh, occur in Acts 2, 14 through 36, uh, 3, 12 through 26, 4, 8 through 12, 5, 29 through 32, 10, 34 through 43, 13, 16 through 41, 14, 15 through 17, and 17, 22 to 31. This is not relevant to uh, the, the Pauline conversion experience, uh, 
but but want to emphasize that this this charismatic preaching in the gospel or the book of Acts rather uh, is is a theme. Uh, I'm suggesting that we want to look at the expansion, uh, but other people might want to emphasize uh, the role of proclamation in uh, the uh, in the book of Acts. Another uh, theme that is pre- prevalent in the book of Acts, certainly in the first 10, 11 chapters, is the community forming of the church and the conflict. Uh, we see the first incident of community forming in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, that culminates with the selection of uh, Matthias as Judas's replacement among the 12. Uh, but in that text, we also see a lot of different um, uh, patterns of the early church. Uh, the naming of the twelve, and, and there's a there's a, a state of the church essentially state of the church address by Peter. Uh, we are familiar uh, with Acts chapter two verses thirty seven through forty seven that also describes the formation of the early church, and uh, many of us memorized at some point in our life Acts two forty two uh, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so uh, that's a community forming, but it's contextual uh, in 37 through 47 as uh, Luke describes what's happening in the early church. Uh, then there's an extended section from Acts 4:23 through 5:11 uh, that includes the the people uh, together praying in boldness, uh, sharing their possessions together, and this uh, difficult story, right, of Ananias, a different Ananias, we assume, since the Ananias in chapter four dies. Uh, but this difficult story of Ananias and Sapphira withholding their gifts and being struck down by God. And and uh, you know, for the last example of this community forming theme. Uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, the selection of the seven deacons, we might call them, but uh, those who handle the administration of the bread, um, contextualizing this conflict between uh, Judaic uh, Christians and uh, Hellenistic Christians. Um, and so uh, that's another theme. So we've got the theme of, of charismatic preaching that makes its way through the book of Acts, uh, this theme of community formation and conflict that makes its way through the, the book of Acts. And there's a, the theme of God's activity in the lives of believers as seen in acts of healing and, um, and, uh, and change that's brought uh, by them. And, and a lot of times that is the effect uh, that then generates the um, explanation in the charismatic sermons. Uh, but, but that might be a theme that we would focus on individually. So all of that to say, just uh, as, as, you know, kind of being honest, I guess, with uh, my own agenda with this uh, worship series uh, to focus on the fact that in the book of Acts, uh, the believers in Jesus Christ encounter people that they thought could not understand or believe or accept the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and in the book of Acts narrates the way in which God leads them to through those expanding circles of, uh, of knowledge and witness. And, and I think that's instructive for us. I think especially as we come out of pandemic, it, it would be a, an important thing for us to think about uh, where are those spaces where uh, we're still nervous to share good news and to demonstrate hospitality. So, uh, so with this, we want to think a little bit about the geography of the book of Acts. 
As I said, I think the uh, thesis statement of the book of Acts is Acts 1-8, uh, and that's littered with geographic terminology. Ju Jerusalem, uh, the city, uh, Judea, the region, Samaria, a rival region, and then ultimately to the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, and Acts narrates this geographic movement. Um, there is, uh, the, the, the early church stays focused in Jerusalem uh, really until about chapter 5 with the stoning of uh, Stephen. And, uh, and then from that point, uh, the earliest believers uh, uh, begin to scatter, thus fulfilling um, Christ's commission. Uh, Philip does go to Samaria, and we are told a story of Philip uh, um, ministering in Samaria, and then Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, um, and uh, in, in some way, uh, Ethiopia and the Ethiopian eunuch get enfolded into land that is still considered uh, the providence of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Uh, we haven't quite gotten to the place where we think of this as an expansion out to the whole world, uh, but the Ethiopian eunuch was a God-fearer, somebody who had converted uh, to Judaism and was then uh, moved to also then convert to believe in Jesus Christ. Um, I think it's important to note there that, uh, that the significance of the Ethiopian eunuch being baptized into the church, someone who would have been denied access to the temple uh, because of a sexual identity. I think uh, it's fair to name it that way, um, that Deuteronomy uh, 25 would have excluded him from the temple, uh, them from the temple, uh, but, but the early church recognized that the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ enfolds them in, in the good news. Then we have Paul in Damascus. Damascus is uh, pretty far north. Um, there are reports in Genesis of Abraham walking Damascus and of God promising all of the territory that where his feet fell uh, to him. And, and so Damascus belongs to that, but we're really pushing the boundaries of what might be considered Judea or Samaria or uh, this land that first belongs to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there's, there's a very definite move uh, to push those boundaries. Uh, following this text, we have Peter in Joppa and Lydda, um, and leading up to the movement of the gospel into Gentile territory in chapter 10 with the conversion uh, of Cornelius, proclamation uh, uh, to Cornelius in, in Cornelius's home. Um, so, so all of that to say, I think that, that Paul's story of conversion here uh, is meant to, to belong to that theme, um, though stories certainly have a surplus of meaning, but I think it belongs to that theme of God's expanding circles, pushing the church to see this. Paul represents the most enemy, uh, I don't know there's an adjective verb, of a, a form of enemy, but uh, the most uh, venomous uh, form of an, of an uh, opponent uh, to early Christianity. We are told in the story of Stephen's execution that the people who stoned Stephen laid their feet at the, uh, they laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. Uh, and so then the story begins with uh, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus 
so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. A lot in that, that text we would not want to exclude, uh, this emphasis of uh, describing the early church, and they're really not church yet, they've not been um, uh, cast out of the synagogue yet, but, but they're getting close, and so uh, Luke describes them as belongers to the way. Uh, but, uh, but Saul receives this authorization to go to bring uh, early Christians back to Jerusalem, ostensibly to face uh, persecution and, and uh, perhaps even execution. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? Then the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Uh, one of the notes I would make here is uh, that in uh, one of the consistent things in the accounts of Paul's conversion in Acts 9, 22, and 26 is this first-person declaration from Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting the people who follow me, which is what he was doing. Um, but Jesus personalizes that. Why are you persecuting me? Um, that, that we might think of that in terms of uh, the, the, the body of believers being the body of Christ. Uh, we might think of this in terms of Jesus' words in Matthew 26, uh, 34, uh, uh, maybe 25. Anyway, it, but in Matthew where Jesus says, uh, whatever you do to the least of these, you do also unto me. Um, but, but Jesus takes the persecution of his disciples personally. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up, got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. The, the theme of uh, being unable to see uh, and being able to see is uh, certainly something that uh, worship leaders and others might want to, to think about. Uh, but I would caution us to be uh, avoid uh, ableism. Uh, as much as we try to avoid anti-Semitism in, in the description of these texts, we also want to avoid uh, making those who are literally unable to see and who are literally dependent upon the care of others for navigating this physical world uh, to feel as though what they, uh, what they encounter as, as uh, persons with impaired vision uh, might, might be somehow related to a sin or a spiritual darkness. Um, they are often more spiritually aware than those of us who can see clearly. Um, and, and so then we get into um, uh, Paul's experience. This is the men who were traveling with him stood speechless because no one uh, because they heard the voice but saw no one. Uh, in, in a later account, they did not hear the voice. Uh, we have to try to parse out what that might mean in differences. Saul got up from the ground. Though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. We hear that uh, echo from uh, 1 Samuel, uh, from Isaiah's call, um, and we might even start singing, right? Here I am, Lord. Uh, the Lord said to him, get up and go to a street called Straight. The Straight Street apparently is still uh, available. It's one of the most ancient cities, uh, streets in uh, the world. And at the house of Judas, uh, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen a vision uh, of a man named Ananias, 
come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Uh, so this uh, pattern of uh, one person in one location receiving a vision of a visitation from another person in another location will be repeated at least one other time in the book of Acts with uh, Peter's Macedonian call. Um, so uh, uh, Ananias answered him, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done uh, to your holy ones in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is my instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the, your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. One of the, the hermeneutic questions that we might ask here is whose story really is instructive? Is it Paul's? How many of us can imagine that we will have a conversion experience uh, or revelatory experience quite like Paul will? Or is it Ananias? How many of us will encounter someone that we regard as a threat, that we regard as an enemy of God, um, and who may depend upon our hospitality to receive grace, good news, and forgiveness? Um, to me, I, I think uh, while I certainly have focused most of my attention on Paul's conversion, I'm a huge Apostle Paul fan, uh, I think Ananias might deserve more of our attention here. Uh, this story really isn't complete in verse 20. Uh, it keeps going on as Paul makes his way to Jerusalem, and there the same level of fear is experienced among the believers as is experienced with the, uh, in Damascus with Ananias. Um, but it is Barnabas there who uh, opens the door for Paul to enter into the church and to be received by the apostles. And, and again, you might think about you know, how often are we going to have these uh, uh, blinding light moments uh, versus uh, how often are we going to be the ones who have to make the tough decision as to whether to demonstrate hospitality to someone that we don't entirely trust or uh, that we are going to keep the door shut on them. So those are some uh, reflections on Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Uh, I hope you have a good Sunday, and remember to redeem the commutes, for the drives are evil.